Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. High in the air, Brito back at the wall. Adios, Pelota! That's the type of manager that I'd like to be, which is the same every day. They know what they're going to get. They're going to get energy. They're going to get accountability. They're going to get structure, and they're going to get support. And I'm going to bring those things to the dugout in the clubhouse regularly. It takes hard work, uh, and it takes humility, taking one step forward at a time, making one good baseball move after another. And I really feel like that's how we're going to get where we hope and intend to go. You're listening to Bags and Brisby on Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 131 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. I am Grant Brisby. I'm here with Andy Baggerly. Andy, who scored 131 runs in a season for a team on the 1970s Giants? Ooh, that's a lot of runs. That's Um, a lot of runs. That's a lot of runs. Uh, Gosh, let me think. You know, I'm going to go off the board a little bit because in the early 60s, Felipe Alou had some pretty darn awesome seasons. He led the major leagues in hits in the year of the pitcher, 1968. And he he had like a couple years where he had like 740 plate appearances or something. So I'm going to guess Felipe Alou. That is a good guess. I like that guess. It's off the board. But it is a gentleman by the name of Bobby Bonds. Bobby Bonds, it was the year he hit 39 home runs and stole 43 bases, making him an almost 40-40 guy. He was 27 years old and incredibly good at the sport of baseball. He also led the the league in strikeouts with 148, and so everyone said, oh boy, this guy can't play, Um, which was bananas at the same time. Boy, was he good. 148 strikeouts. That's just unconscionable. (laughs) The shame, the shame of striking out 140 times. That was a big deal. I mean, you had guys who were approaching that record for years and years, and they would sit them. Managers would sit, you know, Jose Hernandez of the Cubs or whoever. And then, uh, uh, who was it? Uh, The Diamondbacks guy, Mark Reynolds. He just was like, ha ha, I'm an oscillating fan. Watch me go. And he just (laughs) blew right past that. And then ever since then, no one really gave a crap about striking out. But yeah, that Bobby Bond strikeout record was a big deal. And, and, a point of shame, really. Uh, and it's ridiculous to think that that would have kind of taken precedence over or grabbed attention from everything else he did. Because like you mentioned, I think as the story goes, the year that he was one homer away from being 40-40 for the first time anyone had ever done it, he had one homer that he lost to a rainout, I think, Ooh. if I recall the story. I, I, I don't know if I'm missing some details, obviously, but I'm pretty sure that he he hit a homer in a game that didn't go the five innings and didn't become official, and the stats got washed out. Justice for Bobby. We'll get into the modern-day Giants uh, in a little bit, but let me just read you this uh, starting outfield for the 1973 Giants. Gary Matthews, 22 years old. He had an 8-12 OPS. Uh, Gary Maddox, 23 years old in center field. He hit 319 with an 810 OPS. And Bobby Bonds, 27 uh, with a 900 OPS. Uh, you have the makings of, of the outfield of the 70s. A young outfield, a great defensive outfield. Uh, did the Giants have the best outfield of the 70s? I mean, yeah, add in, they had Dave Kingman. They had George Foster. Yes. They, they had uh, Sarge, you know, Gary Matthews. I mean, it's they were producing just a 
crazy amount of outfielders, and now we all know how the narrative has changed, and basically the, the best outfielder they've produced in the last, you know, three decades has been either Fred Lewis or Marvin Bernard take your pick. <laughs> and, and although Austin Slater's like, hello, here, I'm, right. look at me. I might be 2020 this season. I'm having a good year. So, um, yeah, that may be changing soon, especially if Mr. Elliot Ramos is uh, able to do in the uh, major leagues what he started out doing in the minor leagues. But, uh, but yeah, it's almost like, you know, um, uh, I don't know, uh, the baseball gods evening things out. It's like, you will produce so many outfielders, you cannot use them all. You'll have to waste them. You'll have to give them away. And, and then, uh, you know, a generation later, ha, 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 you will not be able to uh, pull one out of anywhere, any of your nether regions for decades to come. I really think that's what it is. I think it's the frittering away of these young outfielders that made the baseball gods go, oh, okay, okay, you need some sanctions, you know, like an NCAA team that ran afoul. You, okay, here's some sanctions for a couple decades. You're, you're going to produce Marvin Bedard and Fred Lewis. Uh, but yeah, Austin Slater, Elliot Ramos, maybe they're back on track. But now we segue into the 2021 Giants, who are, uh, it's always tricky to talk after a, a really rough loss. Uh, on Sunday, the Giants got blown out by the Padres. Darren Ruff made his pitching debut. And so it feels like, oh boy, is this team, you know, boy, here here comes the other shoe. At the same time, they, they won a series against the Padres, a weekend series against the Padres. They have played the Padres very, very well. And I think the, over, the takeaway is to be impressed, not to focus on Sunday. They're half done with the Padres this season already. They won't hmm. see them again until mid-September when they're going to face them a ton in the last, you know, two, three weeks of the season. And, and maybe we'll, uh, you know, those series will decide everything. But um, yeah, I think you have to feel really good. And they have to feel really good about being five and four against the Padres, you know, pitching with uh, right with uh, uh, Musgrove and Darvish and, you know, uh, definitely taking Blake Snell out of his game for sure. Although he's been struggling, I guess, against everybody here uh, to settle in. And I mean, that bullpen's got so much going on. And they did catch a little break with Tatis not being available for uh, a few of those earlier games in San Diego with the shoulder issue. But they played this team tough. I mean, uh, you, you can't argue with not only what their record is, but, you know, before the 11-1 blowout, they had the best run differential in the National League, the Giants did. And, and you look at the, the teams that, that, that sort of go into a funk, and, and, and you look at the Dodgers, and they thought you looked like they were going to just run away and hide from everyone in the division. But then, boom, they, they go and they lose. What do they lose, like 13 out of 17 or something like that? Yeah, and really rough stretch. But you look at the way the Giants' rotation is pitching, and if they can just keep that going, it will be hard for me to imagine this team losing 13 out of 17 uh, anytime soon. And you got to stay healthy, and, and you know a lot of unforeseen things can happen. But you know their schedule, they go right back to being a little bit on the soft side. They've got the the Rangers coming into town, and then they go on the next road trip to Pittsburgh and Cincinnati. And Cincinnati's obviously a great offensive team, but the Pirates are you know easily one of the three worst teams in baseball. So you know it's it's it seems like they could just pick right up and, and start some more momentum after an 11-1 loss and. Uh, um, and then chalk it up to one very rough day. R-U-F. No puns. <laughs> oh, oh man, the puns, the puns. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
You know what? The Dodgers are a weird, weird team because they still lead the National League in run differential. I mean, the Giants were briefly ahead before the, the Padres blew them out. You know, I still am waiting for them to do that surge and, and come back and be the Dodgers and start stomping around and, and knocking skyscrapers over. At the same time, the Giants are, you know, scoring a lot more runs than their opponents and they're doing it regularly. And it's getting to the point now where it is, okay, we're 34 games into the season. There's still the possibility for sample size ground early season tomfoolery. It's starting to look a lot less likely that that's the case, though. The Giants are scoring more runs than their opponent. They're scoring more runs than their opponent on a regular basis, more than most teams in the major leagues. And at one point, we're going to have to stop with this early season nonsense and start treating them seriously. Yeah, I mean, you know, they're not at full strength, obviously. Alex Dickerson went on the injured list. Tommy Lastella went on the injured list. They probably could have used his left-handed bat in there on Sunday. It had to play Wilmer Flores right on right matchup. So, you know, they're not getting all of the matchups that they want, but they got Mike Yastrzemski back, and I think that's a, a big boost for this offense. And the oldsters are, are continuing to hit home runs, and Buster Posey has a 400 average as we sit here on uh, Monday, May the 10th, in the year of our Lord, 2021. So, yeah, some of those things, is Buster going to hit 400 all year? No, but... Is Tommy Lastella going to get healthy? Is Donovan Solano going to be back pretty soon? Yeah, there's still a lot of things you can point to that haven't gone perfectly for this team. And I think that's kind of a reassuring thought that you don't get the feeling that this is a team playing way over its head. That's a really, really good point. You know, if you had presented us with a bullet-pointed list in March and you you would have said, okay, uh, here are the players who are on um, the injured list. Here are the Giants' strengths. Here are their weaknesses. And one of their weaknesses would have been well they're they're not scoring as, as often as they, as you would like them to score they're hitting 229 uh they have you know Mike Strzemski's been okay uh, you have this guy's been okay the bullpen's been a problem I don't I, I certainly wouldn't have said 500 I might have said you know gosh this team is really scuffling they might enter the the trade deadline as sellers and they might start selling in June if this is if these are the problems with the 2021 Giants and yet they found a way. A lot of that's the starting rotation. We know that. At the same time, it seems like, yeah, this this isn't a team that's had everything go right. It's not all Buster Posey hitting 400. It's just a combination of factors and a general depth that has helped them weather quite a few storms. Yeah, I think a fun thing for me to look at, um, and it goes right along with what you're saying, is there's a page on Baseball Reference where you can look at MLB wins above average by position. And it has it all in a big chart. And then you can go select a team. It'll highlight um, one team and where they stand in all of the rankings. So um, the Giants, uh, in terms of starting pitching, have 3.3 wins above average. And that is far and away the best in the major leagues. Uh, The relief pitching, minus 1.7. That's about the sixth or seventh worst in the major leagues. But then you look at all of the non-pitchers, and they're they're ranked fourth in wins above average, 2.1. They're plus 1.0 at catcher, which is second best. They're flat at first base. They're just negative 0.1 at second base. Um, So, you know, right on league average. They're above average at third. They're 0.8 and like fifth best at shortstop. In the outfield overall, they're sort of middle of the pack. So the offense is kind of middle of the pack at least at every position, with the exception of left field. They're minus 0.5. And the bullpen is, is, is obviously, we mentioned that they are where they are. But they're getting contributions that are positive from pretty much every position on the field. And the and the starting pitching obviously is is doing the bulk of, of the value in terms of creating wins above average on this team. So you combine getting consistent production 
um, which we know this offense isn't doing what we think it can do yet, but yet it hasn't been a total collapse. And then you see what the starting rotation is doing. You really do get a sense for, okay, yeah, the rotation is, is probably the primary reason this team is where it is. Now, let me read you two of the differing uh, postseason odds that are available to us. You have baseball reference. They say the Giants are now 56.2% likely to make the postseason with a 2% chance to win the World Series. You have fan graphs, those bean counters, those dork. No, I've got a lot of friends at fan graphs, but you have the more statistically uh, uh, in tune fan graphs saying that the Giants have a 19.7% chance to make the playoffs and just a 0.3% chance of winning the World Series. Which one of those uh, do you err towards? or lean towards. And then you've got 538, which I think has the Giants at like 26% and 5% chance of winning the West. Um, and maybe they should go back to elections. Oh, wait, no, they're terrible at that too. So, uh, <laughs> you know what? I, I think they got it last time. <laughs> honestly, I have to say, I, I almost want to go Jeff Kent here and just say, just watch the game and enjoy the game. <laughs> I'm not a big fan of these probabilities. It's like, I can't wait to find out what's going to happen. So I'm going to look at the percentage. Well, you know what? No, you're not going to know what's going to happen until the end of the season. And you know what? It's kind of fun to watch the games. It's kind of fun to react to the games and not know what's going to happen. Not knowing is fun. So don't take the fun out of it by going through all the percentages and the probabilities. This is just my perspective. But I think it's just such a complete waste of a lot of otherwise smart people's brain cells to do all this crap. I really do. Well, I have the Giants as a 56.7% chance to make the postseason, not a 56.2% chance. So I have a lot of beef with baseball prospectus. <laughs> no, I agree with you. It's I, I enjoy looking at it because at the beginning of the season, I cannot remember what both sites were, but it was like 1% chance to make the postseason, right? And it's 0.0 it's to win the World Series. And... It always feels, especially like before the season, the first game of the season, looking at those percentages is just hilarious because you know what they would have been in 1997. You know what they would have been in, in 2010. You know what they would have been in 2016. You know, at the when the Giants are rolling into the All-Star break, they probably had a, a huge percentage of, of winning the World Series compared to most teams. So again, watch the games. Yeah, I'll take that. I'll take that advice because the games so far have been really, really fun. So why wouldn't you not watch the games this year? So the other thing thing that I don't like about the whole percentages thing and the probabilities is, as you know, I grew up a Cubs fan and you had to fool yourself into irrational hope <laughs> and, and hope springs eternal in spring training and opening day every year. Everyone starts zero and zero and you just knew. Okay, they went out and signed uh, Jamie Navarro as their ace this year. Well, <laughs> maybe Steve Bouchelle will be good at third base. You know, hey, that, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, Tuffy Rhodes looks pretty good this year. Uh, you try to fool yourself into thinking that this team, you know, could surprise people, could be good when they're not. They really have almost no chance. And 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 when you have the numbers in front of you, it just makes it all the more stark uh, that you could be going into a season. And it's just, I mean, you're, you're going to be watching a team that doesn't have a chance. But, you know, the experience is different, I think, if, if you don't have the numbers in front of you and you try to fool yourself with that hope a little bit. And, you know, and then you, you look up and by the end of May, they're, they're 14 games behind four teams in the division. It's a total snowdrift. And you think, well, you know, if they only get on a hot streak, maybe by the all-star breakup, they could cut it to, you know, seven or eight. So you kind of retain that hope until, until it, it erodes away. And 
I just I don't like the fact that the the numbers kind of sort of squash that because I think that's a big part of being a fan, especially when only one team wins the World Series every year. Yeah, it's it's been a, a tenet of the book of of, of Grant for a while. Uh, not that I, I have a, a book of Grant, but like you know, it's one of the things that I I push every spring. It's like, look, if you can't get excited by the end of spring, if you're not entering opening day with just that slight glimmer of, okay, this blank could happen and it would be outstanding for the baseball team that I follow. What are you doing? That's not how you enter opening day. I don't care if you're Orioles. I don't care if you're if you're a Pirates fan. Like you you come into opening day saying, you know what? Maybe this is the year that, you know, up is down, left is right. And we make this season interesting. And that's how I approached my when I wrote before opening day, the worst case, the likeliest scenario and the best case scenario for the 2021 Giants, you know, dream, dream big, dream of, of taking over the Dodgers, dream about getting all these pitchers to be healthy and effective and and the offense continues to score runs better than a lot of their peers. That's not wild. That's not ridiculous. And so far, ignoring all those percentages has is, is turned out well for the Giants. I think it's ultimately what we decide to focus on isn't nearly as important as what the players in the clubhouse decide to focus on and if they really believe. And, you know, they can say they believe, but when you get rolling, you get off to a good start, I think that kind of does reinforce it or create it. And, and sometimes when that's created, it, it leads to self-fulfilling prophecies. I mean, there's so much in, of, of human psychology that goes into this. Uh, that can't be quantified, and I think that uh, I think it's probably really helped the Giants honestly believe the stuff that they were saying that, that this is a team that has quite a bit more talent than people uh, give it credit for. And, and and by the way, you know the the one other reason to watch the games and watch the season is you could be the Baltimore Orioles who literally had a none chance, as Mike Kruko would say. Um, I think that that Fangraphs listed them as the one team that had a 0.0% chance of winning the World Series. Um, but they just watched a great no-hitter from a, a great story from John Means and uh, and a great day in franchise history and and uh, and a celebration that, you know, day in his life he'll never forget. And I know that no-hitters are basically, oh, I think two just happened since we started recording this <laughs> podcast. But but still, I mean, it's it's a great accomplishment and a cool moment and a, a cool game and, and a cool time to be an Orioles fan to, to follow that. So... Um, just always a good reason that uh, to not check out. Yeah, and when you're talking about expectations and how things aren't necessarily written in stone, uh, you wrote a great article over the weekend about the Giants and how they're succeeding, and specifically their veterans. Like these are not the Zaidi Kapler guys that are doing a lot of this stuff. It's Crawford, it's Belt, it's Posey. You know, other than Sunday start, it's Cueto. The holdovers have been weaponized in a way that I was absolutely not prepared for. I thought that I thought it was it was even with the contracts, I thought it was unlikely for Crawford and Belt to even still be on a team once the new front office took over. Not only are they still on the team, they're like as good as they've ever been and they're defying all expectations. Explain this to me like I'm four. Why is this happening? Um, you know what? Don't forget about Austin Slater. He's a guy who was, I know yeah. he's not uh, a veteran on a long-term contract, but he's a guy that was an inherited piece too. And they're bringing in the Yastrzemskis and Dickersons and all these outfielders. They could have very easily forgotten about Austin Slater. And and uh, and he's a guy who's contributing as well and had a big weekend. Um, you know, I, I, I think that it's a couple things. Brandon Belt said it. He said, you know, we just haven't been healthy as a group and haven't been able to do what we wanted to do. 
And I think that that is a little bit of validation for, for Bobby Evans, for Brian Sabian, for that group, because they made all of their moves over about a three-year span that were riding on one big assumption. And that assumption would be that Belt, Crawford, Posey would remain super productive core players uh, you know, through almost to the end of their contracts. So you could go out and get a McCutcheon and a Longoria or a, spend a quarter of a billion dollars on a Samarja and a Cueto, and you weren't going to have to worry about those other positions. You weren't going to have to worry about supplementing the lineup with other people or, or making other moves or, or, or keeping positional or, or financial flexibility because you're going to have to go out and get some other big pieces. You know, and obviously that, that was sort of the big assumption that went wrong. Um, and when the, the bottom fell out from, from Posey, from Crawford at times, from Belt at times, um, I, I think that you saw what you saw in terms of the record and what happened. And, you know, not to say that any of them checked out mentally or weren't giving it their all, but I think it's also human nature that, you know, when you're struggling and your team is 50 games out of first place, you know, it, it's you're probably not going to be um, as sort of mentally locked in as you would be like, you know, they, they are right now. So... I think that a, a part of it is health, and I think a big part of it, too, is what this new coaching staff is doing. Uh, it's not that the previous coaching staff was like, okay, these are good players, just let them roll out there. I think there was a lot of work done with them, um, but in a, in a sense, maybe it's also helping to be a little further removed from 2014, and a little bit of that gnawing hum hunger starts coming back, too. So uh, all of these things might be sort of minor factors, but I think the, the major takeaway is these are still good, talented players, and that's what Bobby Evans and, and Brian Sabian saw, and that's why they built the team the way they did. And, you know, it, it was an assumption that went wrong, but it wasn't necessarily a bad assumption to make. It's one of the, the bigger surprises, because in my experience, when you have a new front office coming in, you have someone who is there by virtue of being some sort of baseball genius, and they're going to implement their way. They got there because they were smarter than everyone else, and, and they know how to do it. And these other guys that they're replacing, they failed, and so why would we take what, what they left us? But it's really to their credit that they, to an individual, looked at players like Austin Slater and said, you know what, there still might be something here. And I think uh, like a real specific example is Kyle Haynes. You know, they come in and Kyle Haynes is already uh, in the, the development uh, player development system. Uh, he's already assistant director of player development. And like they, they like what he had to say. They liked his approach. They liked how he's evaluating the game. And they said, this guy, this guy can really help where we're going. And I don't think that that's the case with a lot of turnover. I think there's a a, a, a chance to clean house and a lot of new front offices do that and specifically with players like Slater and Kyle, and, and uh, front office execs like Kyle Haynes they show that they're willing to uh, evaluate these individuals and see if they could take them in the direction they're going yeah and you know it, it's not universal obviously they they had a lot of downsizing which is uh, I, you could use the word unfortunate. You might think the, use, the, the word unfortunate lets them off the hook a little bit, but you know they they, they they were following some trends in the game by letting certain people go, and and uh, you know it's it's sort of hard to to hear that Dave Rigetti is not a full time employee anymore, or Sean Dunstan, or Dick Tidro, um, you know these people who were so uh, instrumental in, in so many thing, good things that happened. Um, but you look at their scouting staff as well, and even though some people have moved along, there's a lot of people who are part of that previous scouting staff that are part of the current scouting staff, and that's on the amateur side as well as the professional side. So, um, 
And, and I, I kind of draw a, a parallel to when Bill Newcomb came in as the managing partner for Peter McGowan. And, uh, you know, he could have very easily cleaned house, uh, but he gave Bruce Bochy and Brian Sabian a shot uh, in 2009. He wasn't immediately going to, you know, drum them out after four straight losing seasons uh, and, and say, well, I'm, I'm smart. I'm one of the chief minds of Microsoft. I know everything. I'm the president of the American Bar Association. I have more bow ties than you do. And, and I'm going to put my smartest people in here. He took a year to, to observe and watch people. I give him a lot of credit for that. He, and he ticked off a lot of people. And there's a reason he was only managing partner for a few years. Um, you know, but got a little big for his britches in a few senses. But, but I give him a lot of credit for sitting back and saying, I'm going to evaluate and not assume that I know more than these people about how they do their jobs. And when they improved a little bit in 2009, then Bochi and Sabian got uh, the reprieve to come back. And then we know what happened after that. So yeah, I think it takes a lot of wisdom to know that even if you're the smartest person in the room, you don't assume you don't assume that. You know, you, you realize that the other people have something to offer, even if they weren't your pick or it isn't something that strokes your ego to have them around. Um, that that's that's the difference between, you know, being smart and, and being wise. And uh, I think that it's kind of reassuring that you've got someone like Farhan Zaidi who is showing you that he's pretty wise and we all know he's really smart. So, um, you know, it's uh, it, it, it I think it augurs well for uh, is that the right word? Augurs? No. Yeah. It augurs I well like that for, word. for what's going to happen in the future. It's one of my favorite words. I actually have a list of, of favorite words going. Have you ever have ever shared my favorite words list uh, with you on Twitter? Or I have a list. I don't know it. How many? How long is this list? Well, so far it's it's about oh I'd say fifteen words. It's a uh, unfurl, whittle, careen, chortle, scamper, skullduggery, uh, subterfuge, embargoed. For I mean, like I have a list, so I'll have to. I'm gonna I do it right now. Augurs. <laughs> I just put it on there. I just put it on there. No, it's a great word. It's a great word. No, honestly, when you're talking about, uh, not, not to go off too much on a tangent, but one of the bigger surprises of the Giants championship run in the early 2010s is that Sabian and Bochi were around at all. And I keep forgetting that because if I'm a billionaire who owns the Giants uh, in 2008, boy, is that not uh, maybe Bochi? I don't know, but I guarantee you there's a new general manager in the house. And it's an underrated aspect uh, because none of that would have happened without those, you know, puppeteers pulling the strings. And I, I really just can't believe that they were still there. And it, it's, it, it, you know, in hindsight, it's 2020. But how are they still there? Yeah, I do think, though, if we can jump ahead, I don't want to give the current Giants regime too much credit because it's not like Marco Luciano is 24. It's not like they had, you know, you know, three of the best top 100 prospects sitting at AAA ready to break into the major leagues a year or two ago. Um, Brandon Crawford was not blocking anyone. If they got rid of him, they were going to have to get another shortstop. Same with Brandon Belt. Same with Buster Posey. Um, and Buster obviously is, is kind of royalty. So, you know, that, that wasn't going to be an option anyway. Um, so, you know, they stuck with these inherited pieces, but they also weren't going to be able to move them. And all the people who say who were saying trade them, we're not even talking pennies on the dollar. They were not going to be able to move salary at all. They tried. They tried to move Jeff Samarge's salary, even when he was pitching relatively well. No interest. I mean, you saw it with, you know, uh, like a guy like Brad Hand going unclaimed. Teams were just were not taking on money. And that was before the pandemic. So they kind of had their hands tied to stick with these guys and ride it out anyway. Um, so I don't want to make it like, you know, oh, look how great and patient they were. They were. 
And they didn't give up on these players, and they went development-focused with trying to get more out of them, and it's totally worked, and they deserve a lot of credit for it. But they also didn't really have a whole lot of choice, if you know what I mean. So right. I guess we should bake that in, too. That's a good point. All right, we will move on uh, and end this with a look at the Rangers who are coming into town. Uh, the 2021 Rangers are 500. My question to you, Andy, is... How in the hell? And my follow-up question is, what in the hell? <laughs> they looked terrible, terrible earlier in the year. And, and last year in 2020, they looked terrible. I mean, I just don't see a whole lot of good players on the Rangers. Um, this is a team the Giants should come in and wax two games in a row. And it's kind of funny, you know, Logan Webb is is the Michael Corleone of this rotation. Uh, he was <laughs> going to be out for, uh, when Cueto came back, and now he's, out, and now he's back in, and now he's out again. Um, with uh, Aaron Sanchez heading to the injured list uh, uh, as he hopes to get that biceps tendonitis uh, calmed down and, and get a little bit more stuff back. So, yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, you're only as good as your next day's starting pitcher, and, and one of those two starters in this series is going to be Logan Webb. So I think he's going to be the key for them in this, in, this, uh, in this series. This is one where the Giants should come in and take two games, and it'll be hard to do that if Logan Webb is, is off kilter. So uh, getting a good start out of him I think will be a key. Yeah, I'm looking at the Rangers, and, you know, they're, they're at 500, which is surprising. And I, I, I'm thinking, okay, I'm skeptical. But I'm looking at who's doing it, and it's 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 all guys who might be coming into their own. You know, Nate Lowe is, is having a, a good start to a season. Nick Solak was acquired from the Rays, and he was supposed to be good. And look at that. He, he is. Uh, you have, like, guys all the way down the line. There's only one guy who is over 30 who is having a season where you're like, okay, come on. And that's Charlie <laughs> Culberson. Oh, and, I thought and you were going to so go Ian Kennedy. Oh, well, Ian Kennedy. You know, I've actually been a, a little bit of a booster of him as a relief option for the Giants for a couple of years now against my better judgment. Um, so I'm, I'm a little bit on the Ian Kennedy bandwagon, but Charlie Culberson, I'm expecting, uh, you know, he might be on the injured list. Now, it looks like he's healthy. I'm expecting at least one home run against the Giants. That just seems like, uh, I don't know, it feels like the, the universe owes Charlie Culberson hitting the Giants well. I have to say, you know, this may sound like uh, blasphemy, but when Charlie Culberson is in town, Brandon Crawford has the second best head of hair on the field. <laughs> That's about right. That's about right. I mean, it was. Uh, You've got to respect gotta, that flow. That's some quality. That's some quality lettuce, as they like to say in the clubhouse. He's got a good mop. He's got a good mop, and he was a part of that 2007 draft class where the Giants had, gosh, I think that six picks in the first yeah. 50 or something bananas, and they came away with Tim Alderson, who ended up being uh, Freddie Sanchez. They came away with Wendell Fairley, Nick Noonan, Jackson Williams. Not a ton of value considering all those draft picks except let's see who do they draft at 10 madison Baumgartner. i don't doesn't ring a bell but no. uh, you know th that was an important draft for the giants and they they did nail the Baumgartner pick and it looks like culberson's the second best player out of that group yeah and he's, he's had a knack for coming up in big spots and playing um you know for really good teams in atlanta and with the dodgers and <laughs> dodgers um and, and he's a good guy to have around. There's a reason that someone like him keeps landing on good teams, even though, as we've said, the Rangers are maybe not the best team in the league. Um, and that's just because he's, he's a guy who's always been known as a good teammate wherever he's gone. He's always ready uh, off the bench. He'll give you a good at-bat off the bench. You can you can plug him in at a couple different spots. 
And, uh, you know, good for him. It's, uh, he's he's uh, fashioned a nice career for himself. All right. This has been episode 131 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. We will be back on Thursday to talk about what in the heck happened in the Rangers series. And we'll update you. We'll update you on the postseason percentage and, and just exactly how likely the Giants are to win the World Series. You excited for that, Andy? Oh, great. Can't <laughs> wait. All right. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you on Thursday.